to the Cycling Tips Podcast Tour de France edition. Abby, I need more, I need more energy. I need more energy, Abby. Give me some energy. It was a time trial day. I mean... I'm the one that's supposed to hate time trials. Wait, are you being sarcastic? That was energy. I need more. Put on your announcer voice. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast. No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast. We are here to talk about the Tour de France Stage 5. I'm Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Dane Cash. Hello, Abby. You didn't ask me anything. I wasn't sure what to say there, but hi. How are you? You can say you can say hello. 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 And Kaylee Fretz. Hello. Time trial day. Kaylee's favorite day of the whole Tour de France. <laughs> you know, I, I have previously, um, I have disparaged the time trial, perhaps unfairly. And I'm not going to walk that back entirely, but it was a it was a good TT today. It was exciting. There was enough on the line. There were enough different stories, enough different narratives. My fundamental problem with time trials is, is it, they just often feel like exercise contests, right? And there's often not a whole lot of uh, there's just not a whole lot like riding on them really because you kind of know how everyone's going to do. You know who's a good time trial, so you know who's not, and you kind of just know. And there are exceptions end of the tour last year and i think today today was a great time trial i very much enjoyed watching today's time trial i I think time trials are great so but we've got a ton to talk about today time trialing in general ronan was on the ground and grabbed a ton of good audio clips the giordana is coming up but before we dive into all of that shoddy is not here to read the continental ad who is going to read it. Well, we should maybe say why in case people missed yesterday's podcast. Oh, uh, can I just point out that with Shadi being gone, you have already taken up the mantle of saying Continental wrong, which is a nice <laughs> touch. So for anybody who missed yesterday's podcast, um, we were right smacked in the middle of it. And Shadi kind of turned to us and said, um, my partner's water just broke. And uh, Shadi had to run. He had to go. Uh, he did throw his pick in right before the end. He picked Stefan Kung, and was he was almost right about today. But uh, for those interested, Shadi and his partner have a new baby girl. Showed up about three and a half, four hours after we recorded yesterday's podcast. Not even. It sh- yeah. She showed up 10 minutes after I posted the podcast online. Crazy. Uh, yeah. Mom and baby are both healthy, and Shadi is, for obvious reasons, not on today's podcast. Also, Abby, you edited it such that when Shoddy left, it made, you made it sound like I just immediately pivoted back to like talking about bike racing. It, it wasn't actually how it went. Like I think I, there was, I expressed concern. I expressed congratulations. There's all these things that happened in there. And then all of a sudden, and you listen to the podcast, and I just sound like stone cold killer. Okay, well, we don't care about Shoddy's kid. Let's get back to the bike race. I was listening yesterday. There was yesterday. not concern. <laughs> there was literally minutes of laughter. Yeah. Minutes. Because we were... That's what I edited out. Because we were laughing at Shadi because we couldn't get him to go away. We're like, Shadi, your, your partner is in labor. You need to go. You need to get out of here. Anyway, I just wanted to defend myself on that front because I listened yesterday and I realized I sound callous. I was not callous. <laughs> Abby just cut like five <laughs> minutes of podcast out. Anyway, I cut five minutes of podcast that no one needed to hear because it was all of us laughing. They didn't, and but you made me sound like a dick. <laughs> so, I apologize, Kaylee. <laughs> so congrats to Shadi and his partner, Maz. Uh, Before we do talk about Continental today, Shadi sent me a voice clip to update everybody. 
on how everything's going. So we should just we should just hear it from Shardy real quick. Let's hear from him. All right, gang, how are you doing? Uh, I thought I'd just drop him. Apologize for yesterday's rude interruption, but. I thought I'd let you all know about, uh, well, the baby, she arrived safe and sound. Within three hours of Marion interrupting yesterday's podcast, the little girl arrived. That's more rapid than Kevin it. And the other interesting fact is she was 3.1 kilos. The same number, 3.131, as the amount of wins Cav has had at the Tour de France. A coincidence? I think not. Anyway, normally I do the ad read for Continental, don't I? I'm not there to do it today, so I thought I'd make my own up because, well, I don't have all the uh, the forms that Abby usually sends over to read and give you kind listeners the facts and the figures. So, yeah, here we go. Uh, my own personal ad read. If you're a podcaster or somebody who's got business that is, well, not wanting interrupting due to pregnancy issues, how about you think about using... Continental rubber, nine months prior to that important situation. All right, maybe not the best ad and probably not factually correct. Anyway, I'll throw you back to the guys. They've probably got the right ad, one that was, uh, one that is factually correct. Enjoy the rest of the tour, everybody. Hopefully, I will try and jump in somewhere down the road when the baby's not whinging, crying, wanting a bottle. Ali, Ali, au revoir, vive le tour. Oh, congrats to Shadi. That's his, his second. Uh, he's already got like what two and a half year old or so. Now got two little girls. So little girls seems to be the uh, seems to be the theme among Cycling Tips staff. Actually, I think Wade is the only one of us with a son. Is that true? Oh, and Chris Young, our our marketing manager. But every everybody else got little girls running around. So today's Continental ad is kind of related to Shadi, who usually does our Continental ad reads. There is a pretty good chance that over the next few weeks, Shadi will be jumping onto his commuter to run errands for his partner and now two kids. Dave is a fan of Continental. We're pretty sure that he'll be using the Urban Taraxigum tires for his town duties. Did you know that the Urban Taraxigums are the world's first cereal tire to be made using dandelions? You heard that right. They are made using dandelions. In fact, even better, the dandelions are grown close to Conti's factory, so they reduce carbon emissions through the whole process. So not only are urban Taraxigums great tires for town and city use, they are a sustainable choice as well. Conti is working hard to make the world a better place for Shadi's daughters to enjoy. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring today's episode. Today's time trial, I, I do believe that I undersold the time trial course because it was actually quite technical the course there were some bits of it that were dare i say hairy and when the weather rolled in for about that mid-race block um i mean i i was watching it with one eye covered but the time trial was won by tade pagachar probably was not a favorite to win this time trial, although, yes. He was like the fourth favorite, I think. Yeah. He should have been a favorite if we were all, if we were all had our heads screwed on correctly. I mean, the dude is the defending Tour de France champion. He's been really quiet, both before the Tour and in the first week. But being quiet so far in this race is probably not the worst thing in the world. I mean, 
he just absolutely bossed it and he showed that he is 100 percent the rider to beat in this race granted some of his sort of top competitors primos roglic in particular uh well he looks like a mummy at the moment completely slathered up in gauze because he had that nasty crash a couple days ago but still i mean for me tata Bogacar just just absolutely proved that he is the man to be in the store de france there is no question in my mind you know Ineos's top rider now carapaz lost what a minute and 45 or something like that to Pogacar just today which basically, in my mind, puts him sort of out of the race, right? And there's no way he's going to have a two, three-minute lead on Pogacar coming into the final time trial, right? That seems very, very unlikely. So I think that that that, that Tade really put his stamp on the race today and, as a result, is going to end up changing the way that the rest of this Tour de France is raced. I want to be clear. The Tour is not over. I saw that posted by a couple of folks around today the tour is far far from over and we'll explain a little bit i think why in a little bit but he's definitely put uh he put everybody on notice today yeah i i i agree with that i think pogacar was definitely I, he outperformed expectations uh in that i think what art was probably the, the favorite going in and one or two of the other riders were were up there in the favorites department but pogacar i mean he did win last year's uh tt by a, a pretty comfortable margin uh the 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 race-winning performance really last year when he stunned Primoz Roglic uh, on the way up to La Planche de Belfi. And he's a great time trialist. I mean, he, he's the national champion of, of Slovenia, which is the country to which Primoz Roglic also belongs, by the way. Uh, and I think he, he showed again today that that was not a fluke last year. And he has both that, that combined skill set, the, the climbing and the time trialing that is so necessary to win a Tour de France and is basically the reason why France hasn't won in forever. Uh, but I, I do think that Primoz Roglic probably has to be kind of happy with the way things went today. He lost 44 seconds to Pogacar. I think going into the tour, Roglic probably would have expected to maybe even gain a little bit of time on Pogacar. I know he didn't do so last year when he lost the tour because of Pogacar's TT prowess. That was a very different time trial, though. That was a very different time trial. It was. It was. Uh, I do think Roglic probably was thinking he was going to gain some time going into this race, but considering the way he came into stage five, covered in bandages, just, you know, bumps and bruises and scrapes all over his body, the fact that he was able to kind of limit his losses to 44 seconds to uh, Pogacar on the day uh, to finish seventh on the stage, I think Roglic is probably okay with that. He's you know, he's down there in the GC after losing all that time in the crash and then now. But I don't think him being within two minutes, I don't think it's insurmountable, uh, assuming some things go his way and assuming, the, and this is a big if, the Ineos Grenadiers and possibly Rigoberto Aran both are aggressive in this race. And that's a big if. I think Dave Brelsford has talked a big game about being aggressive, and I have been skeptical of that all along. I would love to see it, but... I don't know. I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to their conservative riding style to try to conserve a spot on the podium. I think specifically they need to be very aggressive in in places and at times that nobody is expecting expecting them to be, uh, and and even more specifically places that are not climbs. Right. One of the things we do know is that Pogacar's team this year, just like last year, is not really strong enough to sort of fully support a tour contender in the way that we have seen over the last decade. That doesn't mean they're not going to help, obviously, but they're, they're no Ineos, they're no Jumbo Visma, right? That, that much is very clear. We also know, though, that 
just like last year, Pogacar could pretty much take care of himself in mountain stages. He's strong enough. He'll just follow the other the other teams around, barring sort of an incident, you know, a flat or something like that, where you would really need a teammate. He'll be he'll be fine on those particular stages. But I think back to stage seven of the tour last year, where Pogacar led a group across the line a minute and twenty one seconds down on a bunch of the other favorites. That was a crosswind day, and the, the peloton just split up, and Pogacar, who I believe he had a flat or something like that and didn't have a bunch of teammates around him and really had to drive the chase to keep it within a minute 21. I think those are the stages that those are the stages that, that, that Ineos are going to have to keep an eye on, that EF is going to want to take advantage of for Iran. It's the, those are the places where Pogacar is going to end up losing time. It's not going to be... You know, on the double von two day, it's not going to be on any of the mountaintop finishes. It's certainly, obviously, not going to be in any of the, in, the, in the last remaining time trial. It's going to be in the sort of in between spaces when having a super strong team around you is actually the most important thing, and you can't do it all on your own. Whether that's crosswinds or bad weather or post crash or something. Those are the moments that the other teams are going to have to take advantage of if they want to beat Pogacar. Because I think he proved today that he's the strongest rider in this race. I would expect him to be even more dominant when we hit the mountains than he was in this time trial today. So the only way you're going to beat him is, yeah, knock away seconds here and there in the sort of in-between stages. Unless he's kind of used up too much energy already in the first couple stages. I mean, I'm hesitant to say that because he's you know, who he is, but he has been way more aggressive in the first four or five stages than he was last year where he really rode into the, into the win kind of in the later part of the race, even without that stage that he lost time, he was on the attack the first two days. And regardless of how strong he is, he's still a young rider. He's still, it's still a 21 day race. So I think while I agree with you, I also have, a little bit of cynicism in the back of my head about the fact that he's a young rider who's been super aggressive the first five days of a 21 day race. And there's always a possibility that a bad day will come. And perhaps it'll be like Bernal at the Giro where his bad day isn't even that bad of a day and doesn't factor in the, in the final conversation, but you never know. I mean, it's always possible to have a bad day. Of course. I don't see it happening. I don't see him fading at the end of this race. The exact opposite happened last year. You know, I think it's worth mentioning as well that, that yes, he came into last year's race off of Welta Podium, right? But he was not really in the conversation. You know, if you, if you went back and listened to the, to these podcasts from last year, we, we hardly even started talking about him until two-plus weeks in, right? The whole conversation was Ineos versus Jumbo Visma. That was the entirety of the conversation, both for us and sort of within the peloton. He was able to kind of fly under the radar. And as a result, nobody really took advantage of those few moments when he was potentially vulnerable. That one time loss in the crosswinds was the, was the notable exception. But if, if they had known that he was the hot favorite for this Tour de France, they, they would have pushed even harder. And there were other moments where he was slightly caught out in last year's tour that we're not taking advantage of and that's going to be the difference this year is if he's caught out this year everyone's going right uh, i mean barring sort of you know a crash where you often sort of wait for the the yellow jersey i'm talking about like if he's caught out in a crosswind there is no there's no waiting there's going to be a 100 percent push 
to take every single second you possibly can on him and every single opportunity. And that's the difference between a first-time champion and a defending champion, right? Is that he now has to deal with that. He has to deal with every single person in the peloton knowing what he can do and every single person in the peloton trying to take advantage of him basically at every opportunity. I also think that Roglic is going to get only better from here on out. I mean, the, the fact that he's able to do what he did today and finish inside the top 10 on this TT, limit his losses with all those injuries, I would think that heading into the second and third week, he's going to continue to be stronger. He didn't race at all for two months leading up to the Tour. I would expect that he was planning to race into form in a way. Uh, and so I, I think Roglic's kind of GC challenge isn't... We haven't seen really what he can do just yet. And I, I'm hopeful that he'll be able to to kind of stick it to Pogacar, even on some of the really hard climbs. I just want to point out with Roglic that it's it's the thing about Roglic's injuries and how much skin he's lost and everything is the inflammation that he's going to have right now in his body because that is a that's going to make a huge difference on the mountain days. So it's lucky he has two more stages before there's an actual mountain day and three more stages until it's like a significant general class classification day but i i'm curious if he's going to be able to kind of de puff by that time because if you're if you're a gc rider and you're a climber and you're you have a ton of inflammation and you're storing a bunch of water it's really not good uh for going uphill yeah the first first major climbing stage real like alpine stage is saturday finishing finishing in le grand bornal so he's got till saturday to yeah, I feel like himself. Roglic is probably, along with maybe Carpas, the only rider who who has a chance of taking some time on the climbs against Pogacar. Uh, assuming, though, that, like Abby said, maybe Pogacar's peaked a little bit early. I'm still annoyed at Ineos for not bringing Bernal to this Tour de France. <laughs> like, what the hell? What are you guys doing? You send all your freaking second stringers to the Tour de France. What are, you, what are they I doing? Mean, to be fair, he got COVID, so... True. It's probably good they didn't. They also probably didn't expect all of their riders to have something go wrong in the first four or five days of the race, which was, yeah, a quick way to turn the fork into a, a blunted instrument. Yeah, but we talked about this before the race, that, like, of those four, realistically, only, like, maybe one of them had an actual chance of beating both the Slovenians, right? Wait, so is Ineos a spoon now? It's a spoon. Yeah, I said that on Twitter. I think it's a spoon, yeah. <laughs> Which is not a very effective uh, implement for, you know, really taking down your opponents. But. Unless you're eating soup or ice cream. Yeah. It's you know, Richie Port was ninth today, by the way. That should be, that should be pointed out. He was the, the best place Ineos rider within, uh, he was 55 seconds down on, on Pogacar. So he's not, uh, he's not that far down the GC. You know, only, only 358. I think Port riding onto the podium is totally possible again. 100% possible because he's just going to, yeah, he's just going to fly under the radar, be super consistent the whole time. He lost that time early, so like no one's worried about him. I, I, I think that's very, very feasible. Where did, where did Garrett Thomas finish today? Because that was a big question mark coming in. Uh, yeah, Garrett Thomas, I feel like where Roglic had a day where he could probably take some reassurance out of it, you know, losing time, but not, not a ton of time. I think Garrett Thomas was probably pretty disappointed with the, with the way things went today. Uh, he, he came uh, into the finish 118. Uh, ultimately, down on Pogacar. Uh, so, again, again, that's not an insurmountable time loss, but Gary and Thomas is good at time trials, and, and I would think he probably came into this stage, or at least into this race, expecting to be relatively even with Pogacar in the TTs. Um, but, yeah, losing a minute 18, I think, is a sign that something something's still not quite right for Gary and Thomas, who, of course, 
dislocated his shoulder two days ago, had to get it popped back into place mid-race, which is probably not the most comfortable of experiences. Uh, and now he's, yeah, he's kind of sitting back there, uh, a minute 54 down. Imagine sitting on the on the TT bars with a freshly dis- dislocated shoulder. Your, your elbows are in the pads, right? And you're trying to curve your body in as much as you possibly can to limit the wind resistance on your body. So shoulders are an integral integral part that's not is that a word, yeah, a word. part of time trialing yeah I, I know it's a word but i don't know if i said it right <laughs> anyway the shoulders are really important in that but you're holding your shoulders even with good shoulders you're, i'm doing it for kaylee and Dana. <laughs> no one can see it but you're holding your shoulders at such a weird angle like you're you're literally pulling your shoulder blades apart in the back to try to get as aerodynamic as you possibly can which makes if you have like a freshly dislocated shoulder, that has to be so uncomfortable. That's be pretty terrible. And then, and then also in the in the technical bits at the end, the transition between that position and out being out on the bullhorns, right, out on the base bars, just sort of like have to get up and move your arms out, and you can't even just stay locked in because maybe you can find a comfortable position locked in, but you got to keep moving in and out. It was almost certainly a a brutal day for for Garen Thomas today, and you know. It, TTs are painful enough <laughs> without that. Uh, you you add that pain on top, and that you know could just be too much for for someone to bear, basically, and and that's certainly going to slow them down. It also makes for it's almost impossible to get into the rhythm of a time trial and really kind of focus on on your breathing and your cadence and everything that makes a good time trial click. If your shoulder hurts like the dickens wow van art and matthew vanderpool both the two of them i mean one second apart <laughs> they continue i feel like wow lost today i want i want to say that i feel like wow lost today for sure he was a loser on the day he, I I sorry i i mean it's true it's true he did he was a favorite to win yeah. he was a favorite to win so he did lose i just think it's really funny that him and matthew vanderpool one second apart those two they just can't get rid of each other i and big deal for Vanderpool because Van- Wout Van Aert was the favorite for the stage going in, uh, which, by the way, this is now five stages in a row where the bookie's favorite hasn't won. And I'm, I struggle to remember the last time that has happened at a Grand Tour. With all the sprint stages that happen in Grand Tours, and as they tend to be relatively predictable, this has been quite an unpredictable tour. It's not like we've seen, you know, nobody's coming out of, out of wherever to, to win these stages. They've all been big names. But it's still been a surprise to see so many of the favorites not pulling it off but Wout van Aert, I mean, he's an excellent time trialist. We've seen it a bunch of times. Matthew Vanderpool, not somebody we've seen do a whole lot of time trials, period. I mean, we, we'd expect him to be decent at them, given his big engine, but it's just not a, a skill set. And I mean, it's not like the, the bike is entirely different. Uh, we haven't seen him do a whole lot of it uh, at all. And for him to finish fifth on this stage, one second behind uh, Wout van Aert, who is a specialist in the discipline, was very impressive. And it allowed him to hold on to the yellow jersey, which I'm sure he was... I mean, that was his big goal going into the stage, just hold on to yellow, and he managed to do it uh, with Pogacar now eight seconds back on GC. Well, there, there was much made of his, his attempt and his team's attempt to optimize both his position and his, and his equipment basically at the last minute ahead of this because you, you'd think they would have done this beforehand because there was a pretty decent chance that he came into this TT with, with the yellow jersey and wanted to keep it. But, you know, we ran a story about... about uh, a set of Princeton Carbon wheels, which are the same wheels that Ineos uses, getting brought, what, 900K from Andorra to Rennes last night. Uh, 
he told French television, Matthew Vanderpool t- told French television that he was up until midnight playing with his position last night, which is insanity. And then to be able to do that and then finish fifth in a Tour de France stage and hold on to your yellow jersey by not by basically the skin of your teeth is pretty amazing. A couple small updates there. Um, doesn't look like he actually used at least the front wheel, the Princeton Carbon front wheel. Uh, they're quite they're quite easy to spot. They they. They have like waves in them. They look very much like the um, the Zip NSW wave wheels, and or whale wheels. Sorry, uh, and it didn't look like he used them. He just had a, a, a sort of traditional, very deep. Looks like probably 80, 85 mil, even ninety mil uh, front wheel that was not the one that had been driven from Andorra. I haven't seen his bike yet. It's possible that he was on the rear disc from Princeton, um, but still unclear to me whether that actually was was used or not. So. Kind of a big hullabaloo about about not much on, on that particular front. Nonetheless, just crazy. He's saying that it was his second time riding his time trial bike this year, and I'm guessing the first would be when he had to at a at a time trial at the Tour de Suisse a couple weeks ago. We we always sort of make fun of riders, GC riders, for not putting in the time and effort to get good at time trialing because it does it just takes takes your body time to to adjust to that bike to that position the optimization is not a small task you know it involves wind tunnel time which Vanderpool said he's never been in a wind tunnel involves wind tunnel time and lots of experts and things like that and Vanderpool did did none of that and then just basically blunt force his way through a Tour de France time trial to hold on to a yellow jersey I think it's one of those things that's only possible when you're in yellow you know I think back to Philippe and his uh, yellow jersey defense in the time trial two years ago and he won that tt right and nobody was expecting him to do that everyone was talking about oh maybe he'll be able to hang on to yellow maybe 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 and then he absolutely bossed that time trial came across the line won the whole thing i think today we saw sort of normal ala philippe right finishing what a minute and a bit down that's what he normally does the yellow jersey gives you those the special powers, right? And and without that, I, I doubt we ever see Vanderpool in the top five of a Grand Tour time trial pretty much ever again. While we're on sort of the tech beat, it's worth mentioning as well that Tadej Pogacar is on. Uh, so so that the trend in 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 TTs has been sort of like wide wheels and clinchers and all these other things, and Tadej Pogacar is basically on a on a TT setup straight out of about five years ago. Uh, you know, narrow little Campagnolo wheels, narrow tubulars, uh, proof that you can still go fast on that stuff. And uh, some of those marginal gains are not going to overcome just a huge amount of power, which is apparently what Tadej Pogacar's got. All I know is that I'm enjoying the fact that the current leader of the Tour de France is using disc brakes. You're enjoying that? Is, it an, is that just to, to annoy people out there? No, that's my official position. Discs still have not won the Tour de France. So we're still waiting on that. Still waiting on that. All right, Dane. So before we hear from Ronan, who was on the ground at the start of the TT, what's the current GC situation looking like? Yeah, so as we know, Matthew Vanderpool remains in the lead for this race. Uh, with a nice defense today. Tadej Pogacar moved up to second overall, eight seconds back. And then, you know, from there, I think all the, all the big names are just going to be thinking how far behind Tadej Pogacar they are. I, I don't think Matthew Vanderpool is going to win the Tour de France. So 
basically, if you're if you're one minute on back on Matthew Vanderpool, you're you're 52 seconds off of the kind of provisional lead here. Uh, Rigoberto Iran, probably the best placed of the, you know, higher class. GC favorites, unless you include yeah. Julian Alaphilippe, who's 48 seconds back, by the way. Uh, Rigoberto Aran, yeah, 129 back, which is pretty good. He had another uh, decent time trial. It's it's always a question mark with Iran. He Sometimes he puts in great time trials, sometimes he puts in not great time trials. But it was pretty good. Uh, so he's at 7th uh, overall, 129 back. Richard Carpas, 144 back. And by the way, that puts him in front of a lot of other contenders uh, with, with the... With Primoz Roglic right behind him at 148 back. Garen Thomas, 154 back. Wilco Kelderman had a... I'm going to say he had a disappointing performance today. Uh, 156 back uh, with some injuries, I think, as part of the cause there. Enric Moss, 158 back. Not bad from him. He is not a very good time trialist. Uh, Balcomolo, 208 down. Jakob Fulsong, 216. Nairo Quintana, uh, he didn't have a good day. Let's just say that. But he didn't have a... It wasn't like a five-minute loss. I feel like if you're, if you're losing only in the three-minute range... That's not so bad for Quintana. Uh, he's 245 down. Nibali, 255 down. Chavez, 324. And behind that, I don't think you're winning the Tour de France. Uh, Richie Porte, 358 back. I don't know. Maybe he'll get into a break. Uh, and Tom Scoinch, 429 down. Uh, so that puts him ahead of roughly 140 riders. Not bad um, for, for him. So who knows? And it's I think, yeah, currently beating Emmanuel Bookman. Who was fourth at the tour one year? So not bad. Does, does that mean Tom's is third at the tour by default? I think so. <laughs> uh, oh, I, we didn't. We didn't. I didn't say much about the rest of the Movistar uh, Trident Fork situation. By the way, they have a bunch of leaders, just like any of us. Miguel and Halopa's not so great. Five twenty back. Uh, Enric Moss is really the only rider left for Movistar at this point. Anywhere really within the shot of the GC. So kind of by. The way things worked out, we actually Movistar does kind of have, I think, an obvious leader moving forward, which is rare for them to have one rider clearly ahead of the rest of the of the crew here. So who knows if they'll actually rally around Enric Moss, but we'll see. I feel like they they have they don't really have so much as a spoon as like a one of those salad paddles that are like they do nothing. You try to scoop the salad with them, and everything just falls off the side. They're just completely useless pieces of utensils. But they make for great docu series on Netflix. <laughs> we have a new French hope. Pierre Latour is our new French hope. He's currently sitting in sixth, one twenty-eight down, ahead of Rigoberto Uran, ahead of. All of the Ineos riders, he's he's really he's effectively he's one of the top actual GC guys right now. Uh, he also is clearly just on good form. He was the if anyone will remember, he was the rider on stage one when Alaphilippe went off the front, who was kind of dangling in between Alaphilippe and the main group, and he he just hung out there for for most of that climb. Something that you would only be able to do if you had pretty darn good legs, because behind him obviously was was about 20 different GC riders and Vanderpool and others trying to catch both of them both Latour and Alaphilippe so he hung out there for a little while and, and he's looking good and you know it's important to have a great French hope I think he's a good one I think Godou is also potentially going to be an interesting one this next next two and a half weeks but uh, Latour looking looking solid I would like to qualify something you just said he's looking good uh, I would disagree because I think he looks terrible, because he is riding for Team Total Energies, which has an awful kit, uh, very easily identifiable from above, 
but I don't know if I can say they're ever looking good. He's looking solid. I think that's a better way of putting it. You, you close with that. Uh, Dane, you stole my joke. I was going to say, are you sure he's part of the race? I think that he just got left behind by the sportif that went through in the water. Oh, he really does. That, that is a really accurate description of how that kit looks, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, he's a top 10 of Tour de France right now, so I guess we can't really be too critical. Oh, brutal. Brutal. Well, you all know that I, I like a good... I like a good French hope, so I'm going to be keeping my eye on on Pierre Latour. I think it's important to have French hopes. It, it keeps the, the Tour de France alive in France. Uh, the French people are going to have a lot more time for it because they just uh, lost in the Euros. <laughs> so they've been booted out of the, the soccer tournament, football tournament. Uh, so now the, the French public will turn its attention to the Tour de France. It's important that we have French riders up in the front there somewhere. I think the French will still be rooting for Julien Alaphilippe at this point, who is yeah, they will. far enough up That's there in the true. GC and uh, amazingly has shorter odds than Garen Thomas right now to win the Tour de France by a pretty significant margin, which is pretty depressing if you're Garen Thomas or There's a, like fan a minute of in front of him. Grenadiers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty clear at this point that Julien Alaphilippe is uh, he's going to win the Tour. Um, yeah, let's let's just say it right now uh, for all the Ala believers out there. Do, do, have we do we have a theme song yet? I feel like that was. Uh, uh, I have someone wrote lyrics for a theme song, but I don't. I I can't sing, and so I need to find someone that can actually make like this. Let's into get music. Matt Deneef on it. I was going to send it over to Matt and see if we could put something together. Yeah, because we've got lyrics now. We just. I, I'm I'm also I'm willing to accept multiple jingles here. Like we can have more than one. So again, if you're a musician out there and you want to make something for us, I'll send you some Tour de France swag after the event. That's your that's your prize. I'm re- I really need this. I need this in my <laughs> I need this in my podcast life. Is it going to be your ringtone as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Can you still do ringtones? Is that a thing? Yeah, I changed mine today. It was it made me feel great. It, it's the Kim Possible theme song now, which is just top. Anyone? No, no idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Ronan was on the ground for his final, well, he gets a break off, a, a week off the Tour de France duties, but he was on the ground for the start of the TT and he managed to grab Cav, Mark Cavendish, winner of Sage 4, Chris Broom, and uh, Mick Rogers, who works for the UCI. So let's hear some Ronin sound bites. Nine months ago, you thought your career might have been, you might have been hanging up your wheels. Now you're back, winning stages in the tour and in the green jersey. How good was that wearing the green skin suit today? Yeah, very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Let's say that. I think I've only ever done a team time traveling in the green jersey, but um, yeah, I enjoyed that. I've had such a, a lovely welcome from the French public this year. It's uh, it's really something I could. That was a uh, forty minutes that I could that I could really savor. Enjoyed that. Julian Philippe, he's world champion. He's riding the Tour de France. He's got an important time trial today. He's wearing the green jersey, but boom, he comes to the front and he just buries himself to to try and close it. And then Morkov, he knows in them last few hundred meters he's the best guy in the world. But he knew that. He'd have to use himself early and drop me onto the right wheel and, and, and go like that. It's that adaptability, you know. There's just no one's just trying to do their job. Um, to say they've done their job, they're trying to win a bike race. And uh, I've been in a lot of teams, and that's a special mentality, you know. How are the injuries? How are the injuries, Chris? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, still, I mean, I'm. I'm 
quite bruised up on my hip. I've got big, big black, black hip uh, and, and chest. But uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one in the peloton who's 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 injured and uh, feeling a bit uh, stiff and sore. But uh, yeah, each day feels like it's getting better and better. So hopefully, hopefully it continues that way. Thanks, guys. Michael Rogers, the innovation manager with the UCI. Tell us a little bit about uh, your role on site here today at the time trial. So uh, my role here is just to uh, control the, the actual bike control itself for all the bike measurements for the time trial bikes taking place. So we just ensure that all the all the riders and, and teams, uh, uh, particularly with the bike measurements uh, within the regulations. I must say all the teams have been great. Uh, you know, the, we've done a lot of work at the UCI this year to, to I think, strengthen, I think, the whole protocol to ensure that we're getting consistency uh, amongst, uh, well, uh, all the races. And uh, because uh, how it works is, is they are official UCI jigs that measure the bikes, but it is actually the responsibility of the race organiser to purchase a jig and supply that jig at the race. Um, so we come along and we just uh, make sure the jig is measuring ac accurately. Uh, we have a few tools that can, can uh, guarantee that. And then we measure through all the bikes and, and make sure all the, uh, they all uh, adhere to the regulations. Yeah, and sometimes we hear teams say, well, we checked the bike and then the commissaires checked the bike and it was, it was out. Is, is that perhaps where that issue can arise sometimes, as if the race organiser owns the jig and perhaps it's lost its accuracy a little, little bit? Or? Yeah, and, and I think that the jigs certainly do have a, a lifespan. Um, they're probably coming to the end of that lifespan. Uh, in fact, we have a new jig, a uh, new digital jig that will be coming out towards the end of 2021. Uh, so that's currently in testing at, at the UCI at the moment, and we'll start to roll that out to the teams. But there is there is human error as well, and uh, when the jig gets placed on maybe an uneven surface, uh, there is there is a little bit of uh, um, margin uh, that that the jig uh, can 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 measure out. So we tried to come in early. We come a couple of hours before the teams come. We we put the jig into uh, into shape, make sure it's measuring correctly. And then, of course, there is the human element as well. So we do allow a little bit of a tolerance, but uh, I must say the teams have been fantastic here. They're all, uh, all spot on. Yeah, I guess they, they don't want the headache of having to change positions uh, on the day either. Well, uh, well, it is a risk. Obviously, it is a risk. But we're, we're seeing uh, as more and more handlebars are becoming fixed, uh, 3D printed, integrated, uh, we're seeing the same, that you can't change them because they're fixed yes. so that's actually helping us uh, in, in a way that uh, that um, if, if the handlebar isn't changing between races and we see a difference between the jigs yes. then we know that we have to check if, if the level of the jig and make sure it's measuring actually and you just mentioned there about the digital jig that's coming is that going to apply the same actual measurements or is that perhaps a, an adjustment to the regulations as well no so it's a, it's a reprogrammable jig it's, it's based off lasers um, completely digital reprogrammable so that's the beauty about the jig is we can reprogram the jig for future changes um, in essence it works you set the centre spot which is the bottom bracket and then uh, the, the system shoots laser beams all over the rest of the bikes and takes the measurements and, and gives us instant feedback the, the display turns green 
if it adheres to the, the measurements and, and displays red if there's something out. Thank you so much to Ronan for jumping in front of people and sticking a microphone in their faces. He's, he's very Not good at that. Not easy to do. He's good at he's it. He's super good at yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Ronan's first um, Tour de France. He, he's been sort of like texting me for tips on like how to basically get around and not get screwed by the Tour de France, you know, thing. Uh, but he hasn't really needed them. He's just, he's crushing it over there. Good job, Ronan. I don't know if you listen to this podcast or not when you're not on it, but... Uh, he used to love the podcast and now he's not, now he's on it, so he can't listen to it anymore. So I think he actually really enjoys when he's not on the podcast uh, and he can listen Well, there to you it. go. He's doing a great job. He's got lots of bikes. In fact, we just put a video up of Tadej Pogacar's TT bike. So stage winning TT bike that came from Ronan and... Our head of video, Phil Golston. And yeah, Ronan's been running around grabbing grabbing audio for us at the start. He is heading home today, but we'll be back on the race later this month, a little bit after I get on the ground. Yes, we will all meet again once more. In the real life world. Really quick update on the stage one spectator. Oh yeah, we should mention this. Hate to cover it well, because it Yeah. I mean I do, because I'm not a huge fan of just you know, continuing to dig. But the spectator who was holding the cardboard sign on stage one of the Tour de France has been arrested. So there's been movement on that front from the French um, police. Jean Damarie, yeah, in custody now in Landerneau, faces a, according to RTL, the, which first reported this, faces a possible fine of 1,500 euros. Although if people sue her, you know, the, the civil costs could be significantly more than that, obviously. Uh, but yeah, as of Wednesday, that, that spectator is in, uh, was in police custody as of Wednesday morning. I don't think we have a whole lot else to say about that other than, uh, I don't, yeah, it's a complicated thing, right? Like, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, she was incredibly stupid, like just so stupid, unbelievably stupid. But at the same time, you're racing on open roads and it's not like she jumped into the middle of the peloton with the sort of purposefully crashing people. That's a different thing. I think we've seen people attempt to do that before. Uh, I am reminded of the, the dude in the like giant white bird suit who jumped into the middle of peloton on the Champs-Élysées a couple years ago. You guys remember that? This is probably four or five years ago. Now there's photos of it out there. Anyway, uh, that guy, that guy, arrest him, right? Like, he did that on purpose. People with signs, people who, I, I, I mean, like, think back to the, the remember the Lance Iban Mayo crash in 2000, I want to say three, where Lance's handlebar caught a musette bag like, going up a climb, and he went down super, super hard. Like, do we start extending out to that sort of thing i mean you could argue that that musette bag should have been nowhere near the the edge of the course that they took out the tour de france champion well not anymore it's been removed <laughs> but you know at the time the tour de france champion it's, it's just, i don't know it's just a it's a it's a weird precedent i think to set um for an event that is run on open roads surrounded by fans where some level of essentially dangerous fan interaction is, is somewhat to be expected, unfortunately. So I don't, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn about it because she was really an idiot and kind of deserves something, but yeah, I, I just, I think it's a bit weird. I agree with the dangerous precedent situation. I mean, there've been, Jenik Stebar got taken down at Roubaix several years ago. 
Uh, we've seen, I mean, Flanders, there was a crash when people caught the edge of a, there was a, like a sweater or a jacket hanging on a barrier and uh, somebody got tangled up in it the year that Gilbert won. Uh, I think we've seen time and again, though, the UCI and the ASO both, and this is an ASO situation at first kind of spurring this, um, uh, finally a complaint. They were, they were kind of the first one to really do this, but ASO and UCI both don't always think about precedent. That has been proven time and time and time again. They do things without thinking about setting the precedents. Uh, and I, I don't think we could be surprised about that at this point, unfortunately. But I agree, it's it's a lot. I mean, arresting somebody for that is a lot. And it's kind of another instance of they are reacting to the outcome and not the action. Absolutely. We see people do stupid stuff all the time by the side of the road, and it, and something doesn't happen. They get lucky. Something doesn't happen. I mean, riders run alongside the rider. Pe- people run alongside the riders all the time, way too close, and usually nothing bad happens. And and so no, nobody comes down on these people for doing it. Uh, much like sprinters do stupid stuff and sprints all the time, and get lucky that nobody crashes. But then when Fabio Jakobsen breaks like every bone in his face, then you come down really hard on the rider who did it maybe due to a confluence of circumstances that led to that outcome, rather than preventing these things from happening by coming down on people beforehand. Oh, well. I think we all agree. It's a bit weird. Moving, moving on from that, uh, last little bit about the stage today slash today's news. Ian Trelor, my favorite writer for Cycling Tips, no offense, you two. Rude. He's so good. How dare you? Unfortunately, Abby's just been fired from Cycling Tips. Now that means you got to host the podcast now, though, Kaylee. Do you really and edit so it? I mean, do you really want to take this? I'm taking over <laughs> hosting duties. All right, you can edit it. That's fine. I can drink a gin and tonic for the first time since this tour started. <laughs> you can drink a gin and tonic and edit the podcast. That is and do the podcast. Yeah, I would suggest maybe for the, like <laughs> listen to the Tour de France podcast for the last several years when Kaylee's been on. I mean, there has been a significant amount of red wine or rosé if Rupert is involved. Yep. So, yeah. I, I mean, when Ronan and I, Ronan and I are both on the ground later in this race, there's going to be, we've got an Irishman. There's going to be, there's going to be some beers in, imbibed during the, during the podcast. <laughs> All right. I'm, you too. I'm going to just, Ian Triller did an exclusive interview with Garrett Thomas on the website. So check that out. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Ha, 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 ha. And before we move into talking about tomorrow, this week's episode is also brought to you by Fast Cat Coaching and their six-week $50 training plans. That's actually really cheap for six-week weeks worth of training plans. That's crazy. That's a great deal. Visit FastCatCoaching.com to find the right plan for you. Fast Cat founder and head coach Frank Overton has close to 20 years of experience coaching world tour pros, amateur cyclists just like you. Frank, along with Fast Cat coaches, have put all their knowledge and expertise into their easy-to-follow and effective training plans. If you can follow a plan, you can get faster. Fast Cat athletes increase their power output and FTP on average 5 to 20%. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. We've got, you've got nothing to lose because they offer 100% money back guarantee. And as a special gift to Cycling Tips podcast listeners, use the code CTFASTCAT, that's F-A-S-C-A-T, for 25% off your first training plan. That's, once again, CTFASTCAT for 25% off your first training plan. Thank you to Fast Cat Coaching for sponsoring this episode. He's a great guy. He's a great coach. He's coached some very, very fast people. And yeah, if you're looking for coaching, I can personally recommend. He's a very good dude. 
And that was fast as in like not fast. There's no T in it. Yeah. F-A-S. Yeah, I spelled C-A-T. it. I spelled it one time for people. I know. You got to spell like nine times. People can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Frank and Fast Cat and the rest of the Fast Cat crew for sponsoring today's episode. I personally appreciate it. Before we talk about the Tour de France stage for tomorrow, just a quick mention that the Girodona, formerly known as the Giro Rosa, will start tomorrow on Thursday, July 1st, with a team time trial. Uh, It's the fifth year in a row they started with a team time trial, in my opinion, and I think a lot of the riders agree, an awesome way to start um, a quote-unquote grand tour because... um, it's the only event you get to stand on the podium with your entire team. So the riders love it, even though it's not really a thing anymore. Hurts a lot, though. It does hurt a good deal if you do it correctly. That's true. So keep an eye on cyclingtips.com. Superb website. For all <laughs> for all the updates on the Gerodonna. And if you don't already, subscribe to Freewheeling Podcast because we will be doing a couple episodes throughout the race. We're not doing our usual daily episodes, but we will do, depending on if it's a really exciting stage, there's some pretty insane stages during the race. So we'll definitely have have a podcast or two, but we will also be talking them on this podcast. And we've got some great audio diaries from Ruth Winder, Heidi Franz, and Hannah Barnes. Yeah, we'll be talking, we'll be updating everybody on the Girodonna, Girodon, I should say. That's how you say oh. it in Italian, I believe. Girodon. Uh, every day on this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna sort of you know set aside enough time to chat through what's happened and listen to our audio diarists. Who's winning? Who's gonna win the Who's gonna win the Giro? In my preview that I stole from Dane. You didn't say the preview. Simply the headline. That's which is fine. <laughs> my preview, the headline of which I stole from Dane, I said. Quite clearly, that Anna Vanderbregen will win her fourth Giro, Giro Don, Giro Rosa, Giro, whatever. Um, but I think it is going to be a fight because, from what I hear, Elisa Langaborghini is riding pretty good, and there's a few other riders that look like they are ready to fight Vanderbregen for that pink jersey. Cecile of Trip Ludwig is one of them. Mavi Garcia was riding incredibly well at the national championships. There's two mountaintop finishes and an uphill time trial. So it's really climber. Like always the Giro suits a climber, but there's also a lot of random stages thrown in for to this year's race. It's not as hard as years in the past, but I think Anna Vandenbregen's got it. Honestly. I'm not going to bet against her. No, that would be dumb. What's on tap for the stage tomorrow from Tour. Chateau Roux. Chateau Roux. Let's say, uh, yeah, it's a big stage for the history nerds, by the way. Battle of Tour happened nearby to the town of Tour. 732, I think. Uh, I think Jose might have talked about that a couple of years ago or maybe last year when she was on. Uh, and Chateau Roux, of course, it's in the name, named for a 10th century castle. Uh, that's going to be probably the interesting stuff happening because it is otherwise a pretty flat day uh, without much... There's a fourth category climb in the first half of the stage, and that is pretty much it. Should be a day for the sprinters. Uh, We've said that before, though, and there have still been some dramatic stages of this race, regardless of whether the the profile called for it. Uh, But I think this should be another one for the sprinters. And with, yeah, we said this kind of 
after stage four with, with Caleb Ewan out of this race. I mean, this is a pretty open sprint field, and you could see a, a number of different riders taking the win here. I mean, we could see Cav adding to his record or his uh, attempt to, to beat Eddie Merckx's record. Uh, Tim Merlier or Jasper Philipson, both from Alps and Phoenix. Uh, Arno DeMar, of course, another possible contender here. And Watt Van Aert, I think he said he's going to start going for the sprint stages now, which adds a whole new contender for these kinds of stages. We, we didn't really see him doing that so far in this race, and he's somebody who can win them. So Before we make our picks and I get to throw Kaylee on the spot for a change, let's just hear a little bit about the stage from Jose Bain. Today is stage six, and we race from Tours to Châteauroux. And Châteauroux is the place where Mark Cavendish got his first of 30 Tour de France stage wins. And that was back in 2008 when he beat Oscar Freire and Erik Sabel. Cavendish went on to win three more stages that year. But the record of Eddy Merckx with 34 stage wins seems out of reach for the Manxman. But he sits comfortably in second place in that list of stage winners. The next active racer is Peter Sagan, and he sits in 16th place with 12 victories. Early on in the stage, we find a stunning vista. It's the pagoda of Chanteloup. It's a remarkable structure and the only building left of the magnificent castle that was once built to resemble that grand palace of the Sun King in Versailles and its splendid gardens near Paris. The owner, the Duke of Choiseul, fell out of grace with King Louis XV, for whom he worked as a Prime Minister. The story goes that Choiseul had displeased Madame de Barry, a favourite lady of the King. And Choiseul was expelled from Paris and went back to his castle, and gave orders to make it even grander to be able to receive guests from all over Europe. After he died, the property went from one rich nobleman to the other, until it ended up in the hands of a not-so-wealthy man who had to sell the estate off to a group of black bandits, the Bande de Noir. And this had nothing to do with their racial profile, but it was the name of a group of, well, basically real estate developers avant la lettre, because they bought the castles and the manors of the noblemen who lost everything after the French Revolution, dismantled them and sold them on in several pieces. The castle was left to ruins, but the remarkable pagoda stayed intact. It was built as a monument to friendship by the Duc de Soiseau in 1775, and a tribute to all the friends who had shown him their loyalty. The Chanteloup pagoda is inspired by the Chinese pagoda of Kew Gardens in London, and this monument of 44 meters high is supported by a peristyle of 16 columns and 16 pillars, and each of the seven floors is built in a dome. Each dome is cut by a narrow sloping staircase that rises to the top. And from its summit, it offers a magnificent panorama of the forest of Amboise and the valley of the Loire. At the time, it was used as a hunting lookout but today the pagoda is located on a semicircular pond and for five euros, you can rent a little boat on a sunny day. Picks, picks, picks. Kaylee. Picks, 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 picks. Uh, I had a pretty good run there. I had a couple days of nailing it. Uh, then I got 
today really wrong. Um, although, although, although I did pick Stefan Kung in my segment tips fantasy league, I just didn't pick him on the podcast and he was close. So I feel okay about it. I feel, I feel I'm, I still have some momentum here tomorrow. See, I'm, I'm torn. I'm torn because I genuinely believe that Mark Cavendish is going to win another stage of this tour de France. And tomorrow could be that day. But also, Nasser Buhani keeps showing up <laughs> in sprints. And I, I, he doesn't really have a lead out, but he's just been sort of popping around on the back of the, the Alps and Phoenix lead out. I, I think maybe tomorrow is his day. I think it could be. I'm going with Buhani. I'm not saying that's who I'm going to pick in my Cycling Tips Fantasy League because that matters more. <laughs> I mean, but, we're um, all going to reach that point eventually because you can only pick a rider once. So that's true. That's true. But I, but I'm I'm no, I'll pick him. I'll I'll put him in there. Buhani. We'll call it Buhani. Dane. Yeah, I I said before the race that I didn't think Cavendish was going to win a stage, but that if he did win, I was going to start picking him to win a lot of stages because I think that you know whatever circumstances led to him winning one stage, we're probably going to be there for the rest of the race. And with no Caleb Ewan and that really strong lead off him to kind of quick step, and Cavendish just looking great. I think he's going to win a lot more stages. I mean, he, he looked really strong. He, he blew past Jasper Philipson on stage four. And uh, I, I really think he's looking great right now, Cavendish. So I'm going to keep picking him. And uh, let's, yeah, let's start with the, the win for stage six. I would, I would really love to, because you picked Cav, pick somebody else. But I, but I have to also pick Cav because of the significance of tomorrow. And because Kaylee didn't. So if I'm right and he's wrong, I can rub it in his face. We have one more thing to talk about. Yes. Kaylee Fretz, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot. I was going to say it at the beginning, but then we all we got caught up in the in the baby and the shoddy thing. But it's Kaylee's birthday. Happy birthday, Are Kaylee. Kaylee turns me? 25 today. He's no longer eligible for the Young Rider jersey. <laughs> um, but, yeah, happy birthday. 25. That was a while ago now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Now we're now we're done. Okay. Now it's over. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. A demain.